talking. Um, just so you guys know, it, I mean, I think all of you have probably met Percy at some point, but this is Percy Hudson. He is our discipleship pastor. No one ever waves at me when I introduce myself. Everyone's like looking at their phone. Everyone's like, Percy. Um, it's fine. Um, so uh, this is Percy, and uh, we absolutely love Percy and his wife, Maren, and um, their son Knox, and just the way that they have um, molded and formed Real Hope Community Church um, to be what it is today. Um, and we're so thankful um, because kind of how Percy and Mary got involved uh, is uh, they, when we were, before we even launched, um, Percy and Mary came to us and said, hey, we, we want to be a part of Real Hope. We had known them through some mutual connections, and um, but really didn't know you guys directly that well at that point. And, like, hey, we want to be a part of Real Hope, and um, there's a couple things that you should know about planting a church. One is you will literally take any breathing human being to be on your launch team, um, because you need them. And so uh, we were like, yeah, great, let's be on our launch team. And uh, he, you know, he was like, no, we, like, we want to be like on staff. We want to like, you know, be in ministry with you. Which brings me to the second thing that you should know about a church plan is that if you want to make money in an organization, don't plant a church. Um, and so I was like, that's fantastic. We would love for you to be a part of it. Um, we cannot pay you because um, we have like $2,000 in the bank right now. So we're not going to be able to do that. And he was like, no, we've talked about it and we, we want to come on staff and we're going to actually fundraise our salary. And so we're like, okay, so just for clarity, you're going to go work for us full time and you're going to take care of your own salary. He's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, yes, then yes, you can be part of the church. So anyway, so that's how uh, Mary and Percy started um, at Avril Hope and Percy served in a um, couple of different roles. Um, but he has a phenomenal story and I think a lot of people know kind of where you are now and, and um, what God is doing in your life now. Perfect latte, which is awesome. Um, but uh, I don't think they know a lot of your story and kind of how God has brought you to where you are. So why don't you take a few minutes and just tell us specifically um, a little bit about yourself and about your um, upbringing and then how you came into a relationship with Christ. Sure. Well, first of all, Ryan and Jenny, you're right. It is hard to talk to everybody in this room oh, all at once, um, but I'm going to do my best. <laughs> um, so growing up, uh, I grew up in a really, really big uh, mixed family. I think I have a picture to shoot up there. I can't see as well, so I can't um, So there were seven of us kids, and in the mix of that, there were uh, three different last names. My oldest brothers are Vince, my older sister is Williams, and the four younger were all Stitt. Uh, so Hudson wasn't always my last name. Uh, and so we grew up in a really large family. Um, the picture above is only from a few years ago, uh, so you can even see Marin up in the corner somewhere. And uh, this is all my nieces and nephews. Like, we're just a gigantic family. Um, so I grew up in this large family. Uh, but when I was eight years old, that kind of all shattered um, when my dad left the family. Um, and he left us in a really difficult situation where my mom hadn't worked for years. Um, she didn't, she, she wasn't used to that kind of uh, life. And it was a really a surprise to everybody. And it really broke her. Uh, 
you know, it made it really impossible at the time for her to, uh, to get a job and to keep going forward. And so uh, we very quickly got into situations like uh, weeks at a time where we didn't have electricity or we didn't have uh, running water. So my brother and I would go um, to the next door neighbor's house and fill five gallon buckets full of water so that we could do things like boil the water and drink it or have water to bathe through school uh, and things like that. So um, pretty quickly the situation became really intense and we lived like that for the next few years. Um, and when I was 11 years old, Child Protective Services got involved. Um, I was in drama class at the time, which was my favorite class. I was um, very outgoing and um, energetic kid, which is, I think, how most of you guys know me now. Um, but when this happened to me, that kind of ripped that personality part of me away for a long time. Um, and so CPS got involved. They took um, the, me and my three younger siblings out of schools. They got our two younger, my younger sister and brother, out of our home. And they put us into temporary placement homes in the Dallas area. Uh, we were there for about two months before we were fostered. Uh, me and my younger brother Austin, who is two years younger than I am, and our two youngest siblings, Autumn and Logan, went to another school. Um, so we went with, uh, Austin and I went with a man named Courtney Hudson, uh, who some of you guys may have met. He's been to Real Hope a couple of times before. Uh, usually comes to the 10 a.m. service. Uh, but uh, he fostered Austin and I, and he, uh, about a year and a half later, adopted us. And so um, he's, a, he's a really amazing Man, he was single when he got us. He was 66 years old, a retired police officer, uh, and just loved kids and wanted to impact the lives of kids around him. So uh, he adopted us, and uh, it, it was a really difficult thing for me to accept that. Like, yes, I went to uh, the court and said yes to the adoption, but in my heart and in my head, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to be shifted families. I went from a really large family to there were three of us in the house. Um, and I went from living in the city in, in a suburb of Dallas from the ski uh, to living in the country in the middle of nothing and nowhere. All there was was grass and trees. I did not like that. Um, so like my life just literally flipped upside down. Uh, a couple of years later when I was in eighth grade, um, I had been seeing counselors and psychologists uh, and, and had gotten onto some medication to help me sleep mostly, uh, kind of antidepressants. Thank you. So, yeah. uh, so I, I got onto some medications, and I had made like a couple of friends, like not many at all, uh, because I wasn't opening up to anybody. I wasn't available for anybody. Um, and so I, I had one friend who found out that I was on medicines like this and said that he needed some. So I was like, cool, well, you're like my only good friend, so of course I'll help you out. Uh, not knowing any better at the time. And so I gave him some of these medicines one day at school, and he had an allergic reaction to it. Um, and so I, know being the only person that knew what was going on, turned myself in. I told the, the principal or uh, nurse or whoever, like, hey, I, I gave him these things. This is what's happening to him. And I got in a lot of trouble for that, like a lot of trouble for that. Um, and uh, it was devastating to me for a couple of reasons. One, I had hurt one of my only friends, uh, very unintentionally, and I had hurt my adopted dad, who I had just started to trust and just started to uh, kind of let him really love me and things like that. So uh, betraying that trust and, and hurting that friend was really 
um, difficult for me. And then that summer, um, kind of as not not as a punishment, but as a result of that, my dad sent me to live with his sister over the summer, my aunt, uh, who lived in Duncan, Oklahoma. Uh, and while I was there, I went to a camp called False Creek, and I've got a picture of the signs of that camp. At the time, it was the biggest Baptist camp, youth camp, in the world. Um, it's huge, lots of hills. I didn't really like that part as much. Um, but the camp itself was amazing, and um, I remember that Wednesday morning. Um, one thing to know about me, if you don't know it already, uh, I'm a big-time fantasy nerd. I love like medieval battles, and The Hobbit was my favorite book growing up. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, I watch them in my study. Um, Gladiator is another one that I really get into. Like, those, like, swords and, and dragons and, and sword fights are really my jam. And so this guy, this camp speaker, yeah, <laughs> that's no, I'm awesome. taking words from, that's, you know. Yeah, that's cool. So that was a morning. The camp speaker gets up, and he's uh, giving his sermon, his message. And he has a miniature forge out on stage. And he hammers out a piece of steel to look roughly like a blade. And, and while he's doing this, he's talking about how Jesus transforms us. And that really caught my attention. I had been to church for a while before that, off and on. Um, I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus, but I knew who he was. Um, and like uh, you guys might remember me putting a video out a few weeks ago or months ago. Wow. Um, during Thanksgiving, that my family was one that had received Thanksgiving meals, like what we gave out this past year. Um, so, like, I knew the church, and I knew that the church was something I could trust, but I didn't know that Jesus was something I could trust. Uh, and so, in that process of that day, after hearing that message, I started thinking, like, okay, well, like, what would Jesus even transform about me? Could he change my life? Could he give me my old family? Like that. Those are the kind of thoughts that started going through my head, and uh, eventually, by the end of that day, um, I was able to talk to a counselor and give my life to Christ. That's awesome. I I was shared this earlier as well, but I think I think there's so many amazing parts of that story. But the thing that I like the best, I think, is that a lot of times, um, or I know I've thought this before, that God is really concerned and into the details of like other people's lives, and and I feel like I would look around and it would be like, man, God's really working for them. But I wouldn't necessarily maybe feel that about my life, or that God was involved in the details of my life, and He is. He's in each one of our lives, and I think what I love about your story is that He took something that at that age, and still today, that that you're very interested in, and that was the exact illustration that that the speaker was using to share the gospel that night, and I think that that is evidence of God pursuing you and That's saying, you know what, this is the night that you're, or this is the morning or the day that you're going to start a relationship with me. Yep. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, so tell me about how kind of that shaped your view of God. Um, just your story and people caring for you and kind of, you know, taking you in. Like, how has that shaped your view of who God is? Sure. So, um, I, I could point to any person that I know really and say, like, this is what this person has taught me about God. Um, but really the thing that has taught me the most and has made the biggest impact uh, was a relationship. Um, it was my biological father, the uh, man who had left my family when I was eight. Um, when I was 19 years old, he came back into our lives. Uh, and he I, I found out because my mom called me one day, uh, and I still had a, a relationship with my family. Like I said, that picture is from only a few years. 
Um, so we all still have a great relationship together. Um, but she called me and told me that he had come back into town um, and wanted to basically share an apartment with her. Not like get back together, but share an apartment so that they could make rent cheaper. Uh, and she had told him that, yes, she would do that. And so I was not ready at the time for that. I wasn't ready to accept him. I had totally written him off. Um, and I wasn't ready for him to be back in, in our lives as a family and certainly not in her life in that way. Uh, and so he did. He moved in. It took a few years for me to get to the point where I could accept and forgive him. Uh, but when I finally did, it opened up such a great opportunity to rebuild uh, really a friendship more than a father and son thing. I mean, he'd been gone for at that point like 13 years. Uh, but uh, beginning to rebuild that kind of relationship and build that friendship uh, that had been missing from my life. And um, I remember having conversations with him as he was trying to find jobs or as he was wondering, like, he, he dealt a lot with, like, Should, will my family forgive me? Will they accept me um, back for, for who I am? And, um, or will God, like, if, if these people won't accept me, surely God won't uh, either. And having those conversations with him and walking him through, like, how to rebuild and get a new job and, and start a new career and, and talking through like what it's like to pray for those things and do things like that was just a really special experience for me to get to have. And so um, I went from one year not caring at all about this individual, uh, about my dad, John, who we have a picture of him actually, if it's not up already. Uh, he's the one in the gray shirt uh, there on the left. Um, to I, I went from not caring about him almost at all to um listening to him pray over the phone and, and watching him develop this relationship with Jesus um, that he like almost didn't see coming. Uh, and two years ago when he passed away, uh, I was very confident that he's, you know, he's with Jesus. He, I, I have no doubt in my mind um, that he had a relationship with God at that point. Uh, and so that really taught me uh, a lot about uh, how to interact with people and accept people who are, A, very different from me and, and who I would normally not have that kind of relationship with and, and how God views people regardless of how um, deep we think their offenses are or how uh, how long it's been since they happened. Um, God still loves us. Uh, and it really helped me to see how God loves me when I'm feeling unloved. Yeah. Awesome. Um, if there's like one... Um scripture that you could point to that has kind of been, um, like some people call them life verses, that's like a little too like chicken soup for the Christian soul for me, but some people call them that, um, if, but what, what's a verse or a scripture that you could look back on and say, you know, this has kind of been a thread through my story as well as something that um, I still kind of, you know, cling to today, what would that be for you? Uh, I think the verse that has stuck with me the most um, and has uh, kind of run true in retrospect and like in current situations, if I get into something, is Micah 7 8, uh, which says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I fall and I will rise. Though I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Uh, and that's really a, a verse that to me has pulled me through some of the darker moments. I mean, this is a verse, it was given to me by a friend of mine in college when. Uh, my dad had come back into our lives, and I wasn't ready for that. Like, he, he basically gave me this verse and said, hey, trust that God's working in this, um, and that, that God will be a light in this dark moment. And it was really in that, hearing this verse 
and thinking back, like, man, I was taken by CPS, and God pulled me out. Uh, and, and he absolutely pursued me. It was absolutely a light in those darkest moments. Uh, when I got in trouble in eighth grade, God was there shining a light, showing me the way to him, uh, ultimately. And so I've really just clung to this verse in a lot of ways um, since then. Yeah, and I think you're, I mean, an incredible example of this verse. I mean, you're literally one of the few people I know that, like, every situation you're in, you're like, okay, what can I learn from this? And how can I grow as a person? And um, how can I apply this, like, from this point forward? Um, which I just think is amazing. Um, you know, I've I've definitely seen you, for sure, in some, like, down moments, but you don't stay there. You're like, okay, God put me this do this for a reason. I'm going to learn a lesson from it. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to hustle and work harder and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I was not surprised at all that this was your verse, but I think you're an amazing example of that. Um, so the last thing is, um, you know, obviously it's an incredible story, right? It's really inspiring. I also know you well enough to know that you wouldn't want to share that with us tonight and everyone just be like, oh, I had no idea about Percy. Like, good for him. And just leave and go on about our life, you know? Um, so what's something, what's a, a lesson or what's something that you would want us to walk away with after hearing your story and um, maybe some things that we can even, you know, just implement in our life and our relationships from what you shared? Absolutely. So I think there are two things um, that I would want you guys to walk away with. And that's uh, one, no matter how deep the offense might be, no matter how long it's been since it happened, there's nothing that can't be written. Um, he is ready, willing, and waiting to redeem those things. Um, and, and I think that my uh, my story about me with my dad shows that if there's somebody in your life or something that has happened to you that you feel like is irreparable, um, it's not. God can redeem that situation. God can redeem that relationship, that friendship, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, I was watching TV earlier this week, and I saw a, a conversation between uh, two characters on a show, and uh, one of them was was remarking about the the pain that it can be to be different than people, and, uh, uh, and and how difficult that can be. And the other character said, "Well, it can be difficult, but you can also wear it like armor." Uh, and so, really, I, I took that for myself, and for this story, as I was thinking about. Um, kind of my, my life and the things that I've been through and um, really how remembering what Jesus has done, remembering how he's redeemed those situations, remembering how God has, has pulled me out of things or uh, shown me the good in things that maybe I didn't get pulled out, maybe I walked through the entire situation. And uh, Remembering how God is in those moments can really be an armor for us and, and protect us against those dark moments that can Help us to see and remember who God is and know we're going to survive. We're going to make it to the other side of it. Um, and God is there. He's a light for us in those times. Awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for sharing. Sure. You guys give him a round of applause. <laughs> it's definitely not easy, I know, sharing your story a lot of times. Um, three times. Today. Three times today, yeah. <laughs> And tomorrow, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so thank you for doing that, and thank you for just um, your faithfulness to God throughout that entire thing, and um, just sharing it with us. Uh,
because it does. I mean, I think the things that you just pulled out, those characteristics are true of God regardless of your story. You know, my story is not the same as yours. It's different, but those are two things that I need to be reminded of as well. And so sure. that's what I love about that. That's what I love about sharing our story and what God's doing. Um, and so thank you for that. Um, so we're going to hear now from um, John uh, Dungy, who's one of our elders. Uh, Ryan's going to kind of walk you through his story a little bit. Um, so I'll pass it over to them. All right. So, um, hello, my name's Ryan. I think I've met most of you. I'm getting some enthusiastic waves from this side of the room. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so, Percy, wherever he is, thank you for sharing your story. Third time I've heard it today. And, um, it's just inspiring and moving every time. Um, so, uh, we're going to hear from John, John Dungy. Um, he... Uh, is just an integral part of our church family, a leader. He serves in a lot of visible ways, especially on Sunday mornings. If you come to our service, he's a greeter out front, though he's always greeting here too. But uh, John also serves as an elder, so he provides, in kind of behind-the-scenes ways, he provides a lot of leadership, and um, he's just a, a great friend of us on staff. I'm going to read something before we get into the, him telling the story that he didn't know I was going to read before today. And it's the first email I got from him. So, like, we didn't know him before we started this church. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about our church, we launched two years ago, fall of 2016. And um, when you're starting a church, you just, it's like, is anybody going to want to go to this thing? <laughs> what it, who's going to want to be a part of this? And, um, you know, you pray for, for a long time that God would send people to be a part of this church that he wants to use for his purposes, who can lead. And, um, and so John was a real answer to prayer. Um, so we launched on, it was September 11, 2016. And five days later, on September 16th, I get this email from this guy, John, who I had not met. He did not come to our launch Sunday. He just emails me out of the blue, and I brought the email. And so he says, Hello, Ryan. Congratulations. You launched a church in my neighborhood. <laughs> my name is John Dungy. I have lived here for about nine years with my family. I've served in many different ministry positions with a passion in training, development, and evangelism. I also work full-time in the corporate sector. I would love to talk to you about a church transition I've been feeling and praying through. Would you be kind enough to set aside 21 minutes of your time? And I stopped right there and thought, that is a really specific meeting request. I love that. I, I got 21 minutes for this guy. Um, we just set aside 21 minutes so we can have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. The agenda would be, and then he gave a bullet-pointed list, the vision you have for the community, how I could possibly serve with your team and what the Lord is doing, and then any other business. Pastor Ryan, it's not very clear yet what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, but I felt a very strong prompting when I heard about Real Hope and I'm confident our meeting will clarify some of that. If you call me, we can set a time and chat over Starbucks coffee. I won't waste your time. Congratulations once again, and I hope to talk to you soon. And we did have that Starbucks coffee. Uh, in our defense, being at the Perfect Latte, it was not open yet. So I like to think that had the Perfect Latte been open, we would have had that meeting here. Um, but, you know, we, we were working with what we had to work with. 
actually like Starbucks, but that's okay. <laughs> I do like this better. Um, but you know, we met, and then for John to become a part of our church family and lead and encourage all the ways he has uh, in getting to know his wonderful family, uh, what an answer to prayer you are and, and you have been. And so uh, I want to give you a chance now to tell your story, so I'm going to just start um, by asking kind of that introductory question. Just tell us about your life growing up and how you came to know Christ. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, yeah, and it's really a privilege to to be at Creole Hall, and I thank the leadership of this church for just letting me know, come and share my life. Everybody, like our executive pastor said, has a story. Your story is not my story, but everybody has one. And it is a privilege to serve alongside every one of you in what God is doing at Real Hope and through Real Hope. So again, it's a privilege. I was born in Kenya, about 40 miles away from the capital city, Nairobi. About 40 miles away, I was the first, I'm the first born, I'm the first born of six. And my mother, we actually have a picture of my family. My mother is one of the most incredible heroes of my life. And even though we were very skilled on resources, she made sure we went to school and we had food. So that was pretty good. That's a pretty good deal. But growing up as the firstborn, my life was involved uh, waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning, milking the cows, feeding the cows, then walking about two hours away to drop the milk on bare feet. It's actually showing my daughter the dark marks that the stones and the pricks had made on my feet, just walking to drop the milk. Then I would head to school, and then in the afternoon, I would head home, and I would help out with other chores at home. Uh, an afternoon or two would be dedicated to just fetching water, because it would be so far to just go and get water, which is pretty crazy when you think about it here. You just turn around, and you open your water, and you have water there just walking so far, an afternoon or two. Then another afternoon will be spent just uh, doing something different. One thing that I remember is as a family, we were just so happy. I just don't remember us being sad. We didn't have much, we were just very happy. As I became a teenager, uh, I had this deep sense of the presence of God. But I also had this other side of me that was dark and rebellious, and I was hiding it from my mom and from everybody else. Uh, I remember a famous evangelist, female evangelist, coming to our school, our high school, to preach. And at the time, in our culture, it was a huge deal for a female to preach or even hold a leadership position at that time. But as she came to preach, I could feel like God was making an appeal to my heart through her. And she was saying, and God, I felt, was saying, son, it's time to stop wavering between two opinions. And I dedicated my life in the middle of these shouting teenagers, uh, high school teenagers, that evening. And from there, my life changed so quickly between me and God. I remember six of us in our local church who could speak some English and read we started a morning prayer and Bible study. 
And it quickly started taking the form of a fellowship. And I would just stand. Nothing really was organized. I would just stand and start preaching. And that got intense opposition from the elders of the church. But we got support from this one old, old man who was an elder. And he would just sit in our midst. He couldn't hear one word of what we're saying. But he sat there. But that gave us credibility from the church. And the fellowship really grew so fast. Last year, I was invited to preach in the English service, morning service, and in the main traditional service, which is a huge deal. Uh, the fellowship of the English service has grown to over 1,200 weekly attendants. Sometimes they have to put a tent outside, which is pretty overwhelming. We have a picture of me actually preaching. That's me right there. They allowed me to wear that white, uh, white thing. That is like taboo for them to allow you to wear that. You have to they have to lay hands on you, their feet to be on you, to see that you're really anointed to allow you to put that on. But they allow because they saw what God has done. So that that's what it's like. It was a very, very emotional time for me. Uh, and I was so, so grateful to God for that. So, too many things in my hands here. Um, so tell us about a time in your life when you needed care. And somebody took you in and helped you. All right. We have a picture of my mom. Her name is Maureen Jean. Right there. You can see a smile resemblance. That's my mom. Her and her husband met me in Clearwater, Florida at about 2 a.m. in the morning. Earlier that day, I had arrived from Kenya to attend school in Florida. The guy that was supposed to pick me up from back home, my family friend, did not show. Completely MIA. So I took a shuttle to school. I am confused. I am hungry, tired, but I was praying. They could not allow me to get into the school because I had no money to myself. So about probably where the 99 across the road, where, where that is, that's where there's like an ocean, really manicured, very beautiful yards, and then the school is probably about here. And there was a bench there, so I went there and I sat down about 6 o'clock, you know, in summer, it's till daytime. I sat there and I just blacked out. In a suit, in summer, I just blacked out and I slept. So about 2 a.m. in the morning, that's when a cop woke me up. To cut a long story short, you know, he looked at my visa, looked at this guy like he was, this guy's confused, he means no trouble, waited me to go back to school. And as I'm walking back to school, I ran into mom and her husband. And she stops, looks at me, and very slowly, what level of discernment it was, she says, hey dear, Speaking very slowly, looking at me directly so that I could understand, could I, could, could, I could barely speak any American English. And we chat for a little bit, and she invited me to church the following Sunday. And through what I can only call divine intervention, she ended up hosting me for over two years. I stayed at her place, I did dishes. She cooked for us. 
She had a son called Brian. We did dishes. She supported me through school. And she made sure she came to my graduation. We are still very, very close today. Now, at that time, let me say, I would not have said this, but I am so grateful. My friend went MIA because she became one of my best friends. She's a great woman. Let's give her a hand clap. She's really amazing. So thank you. So how did um, her and her family caring for you shape your view of God? That's a really good question. Um, it always gets me emotional every time I think about it. You know, mom treated me like a son. She had all the reasons to pass me along. You know, I looked very different. I could not speak any American English. I had a suit on 2 a.m. in the morning. I still asked them, what was going on with walking the dog at 2 a.m. in the morning? Are you all fighting or something? <laughs> she would have passed me along, but she did not. You know, mom always used to say, God notices you. I notice you, and I love you, and I want you to notice people, and I don't want you to deal with people based on what society says. I want you to notice them and love them because God does exactly that. You know, mom opened up my heart to dream big. My faith just flourished. I became confident. And mom made sure that the deepest things that she believed in, she instilled in me and her children. And for that reason, my mindset changed. Mom directly made me realize that no matter what you're going through, God is right there with you. The simple words she was speaking made me know God was there with me. Changed my life. And one of the best parts of my life over all the other things that happened is that I got a great daughter. We have a picture right there. Boom, right there. Eliana, she turned fine. I would not have had any confidence before to approach a girl like that and ask her out. But mom influenced me to think big and to realize that the things I thought were just reserved for the movie stars or the chosen few belonged to me. And as a result of that, I recognize people, I notice people. So if you've been a victim of my high fives and big hugs, just roll with it. It's well-intentioned. I got it from her, from my mom. So thank you so much. So uh, like Percy did, we'd love to hear uh, if there's a, a passage of scripture that has meant something to you, that as you look back on your life, you think resonates uh, with how God has worked in your experience, I'd love to hear. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Actually, this is interesting because our ancient pastor spoke about a little bit about this last Sunday. So, Saul, it's in Acts chapter. It's reference. Yeah, preach on with me. It's in, <laughs> the account is in Acts nine, but I love the way Paul puts it in Acts twenty two thirteen. So Saul is heading is encounter, encounters Christ on his way to Damascus. And a respected Jew by the name of Ananias, who was a Christian, is sent to minister to Saul. 
agonizing and very troubled. Ananias obeys, but he recognizes the situation. And the reason is, a lot of the Christians that Saul had terrorized were close friends of Ananias. But when Ananias gets to Saul, what does he do? He does not lay a barrage of accusations of what Saul has been doing. The Bible says that he reaches and says this, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And he touched him. He touched him. You know, I believe at that time, Saul's spiritual eyes also opened. Because one thing to encounter Christ, it's another thing to have a human being ministering grace to you. And for me, that has been so powerful. Whether it's my mom stopping long enough to say hello dear to a complete stranger, or the evangelist making an appeal to my heart to receive Christ without laying a barrage of the things that I had been doing in my past. And that is so, so significant because here's the reason why. Is that we can use those tender words to recognize the gravity of the situation. We are not swiping it under the rug, but we minister grace. The challenge for you and me is, are we willing to extend those kind words to a difficult spouse, to a stranger, to a rebellious teenager, or a friend? Because that's what it comes about. I'm going to wrap this up by saying this, that people are looking to be noticed. This is my message. They're looking to be noticed and to be served. Not only when they are going through a difficult season, but because serving is really the source of life in a simple way or in a very profound way. Serving and being served. I repeat that again. Serving and being served is a source of life. My mom used to say it this way, that a lake that only gives out ends up drying up and having no life. And a lake that just receives ends up having dead fish. You cannot just breathe in. At some point you have to breathe out. It cannot only just breathe out. You have to breathe in and you have to breathe out. Here's a key that I want you to take want you to take with you. Is that you must balance between giving or being or serving and receiving or being served. Here at Real Hope, there are so many people who give generously to impact ministries, common common thread to impact ministries in Asia, to impact ministries in Honduras, uh, all over the world. And to you, I would say, please keep giving. Other people come in and they set up everything so that you and I can learn about God and we can be able to make meaningful relationships and we can connect people to Christ. And to you, I would say, keep serving. The question for you and I is, 
What is God asking you to do? Because he may not be asking you to adopt a child like some people have done in this church. He may not be asking you to bring in a stranger like mom did to me. But he is asking you to do something. And the question for you and me is, what is God asking you to do? I want you to ask yourself this question as you continue and as you reflect on your story on what is it God is asking you to do. For those of you who have not asked him to come into their lives and they are wavering between two opinions like I did, I would say to you, invite him to walk alongside you. Thank you so much. Let's give John a hand. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's just incredible to see uh, when God just intervenes in somebody's life in the way he did in your life and in Percy's and uses the church to do that. And we, we talk about Second um, Corinthians 5 a lot about our church where it says that we've been uh, reconciled to God. And because of that, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. It's just amazing to see uh, the way your mom was that ambassador to you. And yes, now we have the opportunity to be that. Uh, so just really quickly before we wrap up, uh, this is a four-week series. This is week one. I want to just let you know about what's going to happen over the next few weeks because we have some really exciting things uh, that are going to go on in this series. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and looking at some very challenging and inspiring words. Um, and also, some of you who were around last year uh, may have been a part of this. We're going to, uh, once again, take part in World Vision's uh, Matthew 25 Challenge, which is amazing. In fact, last year, World Vision was just trying it out, and they actually asked us as a church to like help them pilot it, which is really cool. So we got like a sneak peek last year, and they've now rolled it out. Um, but it's this amazing experience where... It's all done via text message, and World Vision um, sends you these messages throughout the week, and you you kind of walk through this experience that expands your understanding of what people face around the world. And so, um, you know, one day they challenge you to, to skip a meal or to sleep on the floor or to, to, to enter into this experience to be mindful of people around the world who do not have what we have. And um, so... But we're going to dive into the Gospel of Matthew and kind of the basis for this. And so this is really amazing opportunity um, to enter into uh, kind of a global perspective. And that was the heart of this series starting out in January, as Jenny mentioned earlier, was to be very deliberate about thinking outwardly as we start a new year. Not just thinking about kind of ourselves and self-improvement, but also thinking about... Uh, Others And so that's going to be the next couple of weeks. Um, so look for that on social media. We're going to promote that, the Matthew 25 Challenge. This is a great thing to invite people to be a part of because uh, people are looking for stuff like this, to be thinking in meaningful ways and to be doing something about people in need. And so we have people last year who don't even go to our church, don't even live in Houston, that participated in this because of our church. And so our church can really be kind of a rally point for people to be involved. Um, and the next week, the last week in January, I'm excited about this. We're going to do a one-week kind of workshop on sharing your faith. Um, because uh, it's not uh, easy, and it looks different for every person, but we're called to do that. And actually, we got two great examples today 
of how to share your faith, how to tell your story, how to talk about how God's worked in your life, connect that to scripture. And so we want to be a church of people who are willing to talk openly about their faith. What does that look like? How can you overcome some of the fear hurdles of doing that? How can you do it in a way that's authentic to who you are? You're not just memorizing a script of like, say this, you know, canned talk to people. Um, but what does that look like to authentically share your story? We're going to spend one week on that. And so I think over the next few weeks, it's going to be really neat to see the way God um, just works in our church family as we think outwardly and think about how we can be uh, giving hope to people around us, around our globe. So let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for everybody here. Uh, Lord, we know there are no accidents that you are, uh, you have each of us here for a reason tonight. So I pray that in whatever ways we need to hear these two stories tonight, John's story and Percy's story, whatever the reasons are that we needed to hear those, God, I pray that, um, that you would allow that to just resonate in our hearts and in our minds in the days ahead, that you would inspire.